Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. A fairly positive day in grains and oil seeds on the final trading day of 2022 on Friday. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today once again as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you here with us as we talk about what happened in that final trading day of 2022. Coming up here in just a minute, we're going to get some commentary from our good friend Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, talking about Friday's trade. Also coming up here on the show today, we're going to listen back to recent comments we had from Matt Bennett of agmarket.net and Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Talking about the markets as we wrap up the year and looking ahead to 2023, discussing some risk management and more. Coming up in segment two, we're going to have comments with Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State University talking about the most recent catalog feed report, looking ahead to the January livestock inventory report. Dr. Lee Scholes with Iowa State University is going to have comments for us on the recent quarterly hogs and pigs numbers as well. And we'll have other news headlines throughout agriculture that we are keeping an eye on here as we wrap up 2022 and look ahead to 2023. Now, again, the markets on Friday, relatively positive day led by soybeans. The past couple of days, soybeans able to break through that $15 mark and able to hold above it as we wrapped up the trading year. And it'll be interesting to see how the markets react as they get back to more normal volume conditions and normal trading getting into this next week, this first week of January. But a solid day in beans and bean meal on Friday with beet oil under pressure, a bit of spreading between meal and oil. Wheat futures also found some buying on the back of a solid weekly export sales report as well. And Cord really uh, just kind of traded around unchanged on the day. We talked about that with Arlen Suderman of Stone X earlier in the session on Friday. And we start talking about the grain trade and the strength in soybeans to wrap up the year. Here's Arlen Suderman of Stone X. Yeah, and I think we need to look at the backdrop of this market. It, it's the last trading day of the year, and many traders are gone. They're, they're still with family um, and enjoying their holiday season, so volume is thin. So that makes it easier to really amplify moves when they do happen. Um, and then those who are there are still trying to square their books, their positions for the end of the year. Um, and maybe some even putting on some new positions, trying to get ahead of the rest of the market to put on new positions for the year ahead. One thing that was clear when we started this morning is the equities would be under pressure on kind of a, a gloom and doom type of uh, outlook for the coming year and worries about recession. Um, but the grain and oil seeds and the energy markets all found to buy at the open and especially the grain and oil seeds. Energies moved modestly higher at that point. Grain and oil seeds saw significant gains as we opened up this morning. 
and a lot of that was impressive for the soybean market. Soy meal market shot higher as well. Uh, fundamentally, if you want to uh, point to anything, you'd have to look at the drought that we have in Argentina. Um, but I expect that to be largely offset by the big crop in Brazil where harvest has started. Uh, you could look at the poor winter wheat conditions in the plain states where we've had some winter kill. But basically, we resumed the trend of the last several weeks for the grain and oil seed, uh, which was trending higher coming into today. And that's the way we're going out of the year so far as well. I wonder, Arlen, with some of this rally, especially in the bean market, uh, maybe not so much here to wrap up the year today, but maybe to start next week, I wonder if you know, this could maybe pry some soybeans out of some farmers' hands here, some old crop beans maybe, or maybe some farmers looking to maybe make some new crop sales to try and reward themselves with this rally as there's still plenty of the unknown heading into next year here. We are seeing some of that, but I think the more significant factor is to remember that farmers sell on our U.S. market, and they're beginning to harvest what they see as a big crop. They see that's going to pressure prices down the road. And so this is a selling opportunity for those early farmers pulling beans out of the harvest. So I would anticipate as we turn the calendar to January, we're going to see increased farmer selling. Harvest is very slow so far. It's just the very early fields, kind of like when harvest starts in the very far south delta in August here in the United States. But it'll pick up momentum pretty quickly as we move into the month of January. Livestock trade fairly quiet on Friday. Feels like just uh, position squaring there, a little bit of book squaring ahead of the end of the year. Was that uh, what you're seeing in cattle and hogs? Yeah, exactly right. As we look at the trade in the protein complex today, uh, firmer deferred contracts in the pork complex uh, nearby is a little bit weaker. We're seeing some weakness in the product prices for pork. We also saw... Um, you know, when you look at the deferred contracts, there was a little bit of optimism as we saw strong export sales, especially into Mexico and to China for pork in this morning's weekly report. That was encouraging. Cattle really going out opposite of the way they've gone through this year. Well, this has been a down year for the equity markets. Cattle have had a stellar year overall and looking to get stronger as we go into 2023 from a fundamental standpoint if the consumer will be there with them. So maybe some profit taking. They did have a disappointing export sales report out this morning, contributing a little bit to that weakness as well. And again, that's comments and market analysis of the final trading day of 2022 on Friday with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Well, also news coming out on Friday, right before the end of 2022, EPA's final Waters of the U.S. rule was released on Friday, and it keeps a controversial, significant nexus test in place when determining jurisdictional waters and codifies for the first time a number of longstanding agriculture exemptions to the Clean Water Act. The new rule proposed in November of 2021 essentially reverts to pre-2015 WOTUS definitions with a number of tweaks. The final rule includes eight CWA exclusions as part of the text. Most notably, prior converted croplands are exempt, and EPA adopted USDA's definition. The EPA said wetlands converted to croplands prior to December 23rd of 1985 
are excluded from regulation. Now, the remaining seven exclusions written in the new rule include waste treatment systems, ditches, artificially irrigated areas, artificial lakes or ponds, artificial reflecting pools or swimming pools, water-filled depressions and swales and erosional features. Now, the most controversial aspect of the final rule is the use of the significant nexus standard to make determinations. Now, during the 2015 WOTUS rulemaking, agriculture groups and others made clear their opposition to the standard because, as they claimed, the EPA could claim jurisdiction over dry land features. Features. Now, the standard was a key reason why the 2015 WOTUS rule faced numerous legal challenges. It was eventually replaced by the Trump administration's Navigable Waters Protection Rule. Now, the EPA was asked by members of Congress and others to delay the WOTUS rulemaking until the Supreme Court issues an opinion in Sackett versus EPA sometime in this spring. The case raises questions about what qualifies as a jurisdictional wetland. However, EPA went ahead and made their final rule right before the end of 2022. And that'll be a story that we'll be watching as we enter the new year. Speaking of stories we're watching in agriculture, we'll get to more of those coming up here after the break, including comments on the latest cattle on feed report and more with Dr. Daryl Peel of Oklahoma. Oklahoma State University. We'll be back with more Market Talk on the way right after the break. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Jesse Allen back with you as we take a look at a few various uh, headlines I'm watching here as we round out 2022 and look ahead to 2023 throughout the markets and throughout agriculture. Well, the final cattle on feed report of 2022 was generally in line with pre-report estimates. Dr. Daryl Peel, livestock market economist with the Oklahoma State University Extension Service, talks about the numbers. You know, this December cattle on feed report shows placements in the month of November, 98% of last year. Marketings in November were 101% of last year. And so the December one on feed total comes in at 97% of last year. Now the placement numbers were on the high end of pre-report estimates. You know, the placements are a little bit bigger than the average pre-report estimate. They're kind of at the top end of the range, although a couple of analysts actually had them about that level. And I know there was quite a bit of variation in the auction volumes and other things that we used to try to generate those estimates. So I don't think it's a big surprise, but it's a little bit bigger. But the bottom line is the on-feed inventory is still coming down, and that's probably what's most important as we go forward here into the new year. And the marketing's number was what the trade expected over a year ago. We're continuing to market uh, cattle in a very timely pace. As we start to pull these numbers down, obviously numbers are going to get tighter going forward. Obviously, marketings will come down simply because there won't be as many cattle at some point in time. But right now, we're moving cattle. And this contributes to the fact we're going to end up the year with record beef production in 2022. Slaughter and beef production on a weekly basis appears to be moderating a little bit. I think we're kind of turning that corner, if you will, still moving cattle at a pretty brisk pace out of these feedlots. Well, now turning our attention to the new year, one of the first big reports in the new year is the upcoming cattle inventory report in January. And Dr. Peel talks about his pre-report expectations. As I look at the numbers, we continue to monitor cow slaughter and heifer slaughter. That's been the big story this year. You know, we've only got about two to three more weeks of data for 2022 to come in yet, and that's not going to change things very much. So it's pretty clear that total female slaughter in 2022 was over 51% of 
of all of the cattle that we slaughtered, and we've not been over 50% since 1986. So clearly we have pulled the cow herd down. We've pulled heifer numbers down, which limits our ability to regrow that herd uh, should we get the opportunity to do that. I think it's an absolute minimum that the beef cow herd dropped two and a half percent. I really think it'll probably be 3% or perhaps even a little bit over 3% for a year-over-year decrease in that beef cow herd. He also talks about what a smaller herd size would mean for 2023. The heifer side may actually be the bigger factor going forward because it looks to me like we have simply not saved any replacement heifers at all. So even if we get the chance to stop liquidating, we're still in a drought right now. We don't know when that's going to change. But assuming that at some point drought conditions improve and we might try to think about rebuilding the herd, I don't think we have very many replacement heifers to work with. So all of that to say that beef production is going to drop significantly in 2023. If in fact the drought conditions let us start trying to rebuild, that will actually make that supply drop even more dramatic because in the short run, we're going to save a lot of heifers. We're going to cut cow culling. If the drought continues, then we'll continue to see some level of culling, but it won't be as high as in 2022 because we simply don't have as many animals. We've already culled a lot of them. So there's some unknowns about exactly what that supply situation is. It's a question of whether it's down quite a bit or down a whole bunch, I guess. And while there will be challenges in the new year, Producers will also have opportunities to make a profit, according to Dr. Peel. All of that to say that, you know, we've got higher prices. We're ending 2022 on a strong note with feeder cattle, fed cattle prices. Box beef in the last few days has really taken a jump, too. And I think all of that's going to continue into 2023. So producers will have, from a revenue standpoint, certainly more opportunities. Again, that's Dr. Daryl Peel with Oklahoma State University. Well, the December hogs and pigs report shows numbers sharply lower than expected for inventory, but the breeding herd was surprising. Iowa State University livestock economist Dr. Lee Scholes says this is the first time we have seen the breeding herd increase in two and a half years. With that larger breeding herd, you would expect pharaoh intentions to, to be larger, or at least what that guess was in the September report. We did see that, so Producers intend to farrow about 1% greater uh, numbers of, of sows as you look at the December-February number. The biggest takeaway from the report was those breeding numbers because experts expected it to be flatlined. But Dr. Scholl sees production in 2023 at the 2022 levels. You know, I think for me, it, it's maybe that retrenching of the industry. And, and going forward, we start to see expansion as we get into the second half of 2023 and into 2024. And for marketing prices. But I think there's going to certainly be some, some opportunities as we get into Seasonally higher prices, late spring into summer, certainly those margins look pretty good. And then, you know, I think as you look at the cost side of thing, which which has really come into light the last uh, couple of years is I think we're starting to see those costs start to ease. And Dr. Schulz reminded pork producers these numbers are evolving and not cast in concrete. Changes in feed costs or markets can influence the numbers reported in December. A deeper summary from Dr. Schulz and two other economists will be available at porkcheckoff.org in early January. Well, USDA is forecasting an agricultural trade deficit in 2023. While deficits have happened in the past, the agency's never forecast one in advance until this year. The agency says ag exports are projected to reach $190 billion next year, but imports are projected to rise to $199 billion. Seth Meyer, chief economist with USDA, says an ag trade deficit isn't a major cause for concern, saying, quote, I'm of the opinion that having both rising exports and imports is a good thing. Farmers can sell their products at a good price while consumers can shop for what they want, end quote. 
Ag exports are forecast to set another record during the fiscal year 2022 at $196.4 billion. If realized, that number would top the previous record of $177 billion in 2021. American exports currently face major pressure from the strong dollar value, making U.S. products more expensive in the world markets. Well, speaking of exports, America's beef exports will set a record in 2022 as sales totals are expected to reach $12 billion. While demand growth in China played a significant part, Dan Hallstrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation says the U.S. beef industry has seen widespread growth in global demand. Our record growth in 2022 and 2021 is really the result of broad-based growth. It's not any one market. Granted, we see extreme growth in China in three years, which is good, $2 billion market, but it's not just China. We have growth in Korea. Korea has been amazing. We have growth in places like Philippines, Vietnam, Colombia. So the broad-based growth, not overly reliant on any one market, has just been a key. And that's where the food service in Asia for most of 2022 crippled due to COVID. So that would be a good example where I think there's a tailwind coming into 2023 where food service in Asia, we might see some pretty spectacular things. U.S. pork exports will fall short of the record set in 2020 and 2021. The good news, though, is that pork exports came on strong late in the year in 2022, and they look positioned for growth in the new year. If you all remember, in 2020, at the height of African swine fever in China, we just set all kinds of records, but it was mainly China. And uh, we've now seen extremely good diversification on the pork side as well. And while Mexico had a big year in 2022 and a very good partner, we've seen very good growth in Korea. We've seen very good growth growth in places like Colombia, Peru, Central America, and Philippines. So uh, once again, having a diversified portfolio with a lot of different options market-wise has really been a key. Again, that's Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. While turning our attention to talks about the Farm Bill, USDA Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says it's premature to ask if billions in Inflation Reduction Act conservation funds can be transferred to the upcoming Farm Bill, even as the need will likely exist. The decision will be up to Congress, but Vilsack and the administration will have a say in whether to use some of the Inflation Reduction Act's $16 billion for programs like Equip and CSP for the new Farm Bill. But when asked about that during a December press call, Vilsack said it's too early to decide. At this point in time, we don't know what the specific baseline is going to be from CBO. We don't know what demands there may very well be on the existing Farm Bill programs and any modifications or changes. We don't know what savings could potentially be occurred from programs that are currently within the Farm Bill baseline that could be because of lack of demand or because of changes or whatever might actually create a set of savings. But Vilsack says he heard directly from farm groups at the COPS 26 climate conference in Egypt. There was a genuine expression to me of support for maintaining and keeping the conservation resources as they have been appropriated and as they have been directed uh, under the Inflation Reduction Act. But the question remains if some of those resources can be repurposed to meet rising farm bill costs from input inflation, low existing support levels, disasters, war and supply chain problems. Doing so may require spending offsets somewhere else. But no one doubts the next farm bill will be a heavy lift for no other reason other than the cost of farming has risen dramatically from the 2018 farm bill. All right, well, coming up here next on Market Talk, we've had quite a few uh, recent conversations this past week or so about the markets as we wrap up 2022 and head to 2023. I'm going to listen to some of those comments that I wanted to reiterate for folks uh, one more time as well. Comments from Matt Bennett and Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. We'll get to those coming up here after the break as we're back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. 
When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today as we are wrapping up 2022. I want to go back to a couple recent conversations we've had here with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net and Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. I talked to Matt earlier here this past week as well as Jim and just got some thoughts uh, from them as they look at the markets, the year that was here in 2022 and look ahead to 2023. And I talked to Matt about just uh, during the holiday trade to get some of this low volume and get some of these volatile moves in the low volume and not getting caught up in the day-to-day trade, but also rewarding the rallies. Case in point, soybeans, you know, going over $15 here this week. You know, were you able to reward yourself a little bit with that rally looking out to uh, maybe the 23 crop or even some old crop sales here as well? So here's some thoughts with Matt Bennett about watching and not getting caught up in the day-to-day, but also rewarding those rallies and then also i talk with matt about looking at what we should have learned in 2022 and a bit of a look ahead to 2023 here first are those comments with matt bennett of agmarket.net you got to remember uh, that uh, sometimes it's more of a marathon than a sprint you know and so mm-hmm. uh you know i know a lot of folks uh, you know quite frankly a lot of folks are in the position where they're just happy with what they're at they know what they're going to collect in January. Yeah, they've still got maybe 20, 30, 40, 50% in the bin at home. Um, our particular position all along has been to get down to just bushels at home. We like having ownership of some bushels, you know, there, but uh, that's where we've been. The thing is, though, that now that the market kind of fell off a couple of weeks ago, you know, last week we got back eight or nine cents, but, you know, market seemed a little easier than again yesterday. I've had people call me, oh man, I don't want to be making a mistake here. I'm like, you know, uh, Give this thing a little bit of time to play out. I do think, uh, you know, that it seems to me like the market just feels a little bit heavy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the last couple, three weeks. And it, I think what it is, you got to feed a bull every day. You know, I mean, you've got to have a bullish story, you know, to kind of go on. And so uh, this time of year, it's kind of the doldrums, as you said. And so uh, I think uh, a producer has to has to know that uh, if they're going to have that uh, corn in their bin, be patient, because if the market falls off, you know, you're probably going to see some basis uh, stuff going on. I do think the basis could be quite interesting over the next week to 10 days of this winter snowstorm. I think uh, in certain regions, you're probably going to have the opportunity to deliver at a much better basis than what you saw maybe uh, last Thursday or Friday, uh, mm-hmm. just simply due to the fact that they're going to need some corn, you know. And so uh, I've uh, I actually grew up, uh, my dad had grain elevators, dad and mom had grain elevators. And I got out of college and uh, actually drove a truck in the winter for my dad sometimes. And, and so, uh, you know, I hauled it some pretty inclement weather. And the reason is because dad said, hey, they're going to push the heck out of the basis. So <laughs> I said, what about my safety? Ah, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You know, so it was just kind of one of those things, though. I mean, they push 20, 30 cents sometimes to get the grain. So, you know, the thing is, your, your originator needs to know what you've got, what you're looking for, what you'd be willing to let it go at. And, uh, you know, if they'll meet you in the middle, then uh, sometimes it's a good place to be. 
Well, and that's a great point uh, that you make is that even during a quiet holiday type of trade, there is opportunity out there if someone needs to make a few moves here and there and, and trying to, you know, say looking at the year end books and maybe going, okay, you know what? Hey, I could move, you know, a few thousand bushels of something here. And, and so there, that opportunity is out there on, on the flip side. You don't want to get too caught up in the day-to-day, -day, but you don't want to miss out on some of the opportunity that could be in front of you, Matt. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would, and another thing I'll add to that, you know, whenever I've been out speaking here, uh, did did a lot there in uh, November and early December, but, um, you know, people were asking, what do you think the most important thing we can do to set ourselves up for success in 23? And I told them, I said, what decisions you make between the date of that meeting and December 31st are big, you know, and so it's not just the marketing, it's what are you doing tax wise? You know, what are you doing to try to beat Uncle Sam, so to speak? I, to I totally understand that. I don't want pay taxes anymore than anybody else but a lot of times in these really high income years we can kind of get ourselves put in a corner uh, just based on the decisions that we make got to be super cautious as to uh, get out over our skis as far as what we're doing you know on equipment and everything else so um, it's been a great year it's been a blessed year uh, but we just want to make sure that uh, you know we're, we're smart about uh, the windfall that uh, a lot of folks have seen Definitely. Matt, you know, you're a, a trader. You're also a farmer. And, and as you take a look at this year, I know it's been a wild, volatile year. What have we learned when it comes to markets in 2022? Or I should say, what should we have learned maybe looking back at this past year and just some of the, the craziness that was out there in the market train? Yeah, I think a couple of things come to mind. You know, uh, this market kind of was building from 20. You know, you, you, you came into 2020 in the fall, you know, and in August you had that derecho event and then you had China step in and buy a bunch of corn, you know, and that kind of set the ball rolling. Once the ball got rolling, it wasn't going to stop. And so, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, whenever it gets right down to it. Uh, it's been a two-year rally. We've had two years in a row of just incredible income, you know. And so, what would what what would we have learned from 22 or even 21 is that you know a lot of times we can be in a, a situation where you know, we don't think the markets are ever going to rally again, and you turn around and you look, and all of a sudden your profit margins are just flat out incredible, um, you know. So one of the main things I've learned in 22, and I think that we've tried to impress upon people is. Don't take anything for granted. You know, uh, I had people hauling in corn across the scale in the fall of 22. Uh, and they've got phenomenal grain handling systems at home. You know, uh, a better storage facility than most elevators that I knew of whenever I was a kid. Uh, and they said, hey, I don't know, but I may have to leave some of my storage empty at home, you know, because I can get $6.75 a bushel for corn. And they were hauling in corn, you know, in, in maybe in Illinois or Indiana that was making 240 you know. And I said, okay, let's do the math on that, you know. Uh, do you want to put it in the bin? I mean, if you do put it in the bin, that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, look at the kind of profit margin that you're setting yourself up with if you just absolutely haul it in right across the scale. I did have a producer in, in Kansas call me during the middle harvest hauling $9 corn to a cattle feeder. Uh, you know, he had a basis of over $2 over. And he said, you know, I just don't know if I'm going to uh, make a smart decision by putting this in the bin. And I said, I, I, I concur. I totally agree with you. And so, you know, I think that you got to uh, understand not every year is the same. Every year is different. And sometimes you just got to take what the market's giving you.
Well, following up with Matt here, Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. And I like to talk to Jim uh, quite a bit uh, about various issues, global issues impacting the trade. He's always on top of things like that. And uh, we, we talk quite a bit this year about China, of course. China been in the headlines uh, quite a lot here, especially when it comes to uh, agricultural relations with the U.S. and some of the reshuffling of the deck chairs. China recently said it would allow foreign investors to Uh, take part in their soybean and soybean meal exchanges on the Dalian Commodity Exchange here just earlier this week. That was uh, set to go into effect. I brought that up recently to Jim and... uh He shared his thoughts on China, and we also talk a little bit more about the markets as well. Here are comments with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. And that just shows you while China is kind of diversifying, especially in the meal side of the equation, and China's traditionally has always been just the big importer of beans and not the raw product. I think you're going to start seeing them import more raw product. And Jesse, I think that's good. Because if you look at where the United States is going with this biodiesel, this renewable diesel, which I think if you're a producer of beans, you have to be very, very excited about. Because what's going to happen is that's going to ramp up our domestic demand for bean oil. And that could come at a cost of a little bit of excess supply of meal. Now, granted, if you're an end user of meal, you're going to be kind of happy of that excess supply potentially, which could kind of tap down the prices. But, you know, the, the producers of that biodiesel meal, they're going to be looking for an extra markets. And if the Chinese start buying our meal, that's going to do wonders for us because I do think we're going to lose a little bit of export demand from the Chinese. I think what you're going to see in general is a shift of China buys more and more raw beans from the Brazilians. They may buy some meal from us. And then, like I said, we'll domestically we'll be pricing our beans essentially or turning them into, you know, biodiesel. Thinking about this 23 crop, we've already booked inputs, booked fuel, et cetera. You know, there, there's no harm in, in getting some sales on the books there to to try and lock in some of that profit that you alluded to, Jim. I mean, it's it, it's so important to think about that is that if you have made sales and you have stuff on the books, you got to protect that. That's just smart risk management, Jim. Well, exactly. I mean, the one thing is interesting. I've been doing this in this industry almost 25 years now. You know, farmers, you know, we our industry tries to, you know, swing for the fences, try to get the maximum. A lot of other industries, when you think about it, it doesn't matter if it's a widget, if it's making soup, if it's making a shovel, whatever it is, they're looking for a profit margin, 5, 5%, 10%, 20% return on their investment. I think as you're a producer this year, you've got to kind of take that businessman a approach and don't necessarily swing for the thing the fences this year make sure that profitability is locked in because we are we're in an economic situation plain and simple we've never been in i mean we've got an interest rate prop we've got a you know interest rates going up as we're fighting inflation that we haven't seen since the early 80s you throw in the fact that the reality is europe's in the middle of a world war just exasperating the problem you've got a pandemic that's still the reality is running around the world and still mutating situation. Those are all things that potentially could go very bullish to commodities or very bearish to the commodities. So, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that allow you to make sure your profitability is there, but also be able to play that game in case of the what if, because there are some bullish what ifs out there. But that's what people tend to concentrate on. I want to encourage you to kind of, unfortunately, kind of say, but what if I'm wrong? It's easy to be excited if you're right, but what happens if you're wrong? Our group is trying to encourage people to look at that profitability and make sure that you don't let those profits slip in 2023. 
And again, that is comments with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Before him, Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. I've talked to both of them recently here as we wrap up 2022. And of course, they are uh, normal uh, contributors here on Market Talk. We always appreciate uh, their insight into the market trade and uh, their analysis here on the show. Again, uh, you know, something to think about here as we wrap up the year, rewarding some of these rallies, especially this soybean complex that was able to break above $15. Well, coming up next, we're going to take a look at a few more news headlines before we wrap up today's show. Back with more Market Talk of the Way right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Thanks to our uh, guest, Arlen Suderman, earlier in the show. Got some market thoughts with him as we wrap up the trading year. And also listening back to great comments from Jim McCormick and Matt Bennett of agmarket.net, providing a little perspective here on markets and risk management as we wrap up the year and look ahead to 2023. Right now, though, let's take a look at a few more news headlines. Well, there's good news on the export front this week for the U.S. ethanol industry. Brazil is again suspending its 20% ethanol import tariff, a suspension that Renewable Fuels Association head Jeff Cooper says the U.S. industry feared would expire in January. And so we were pleasantly surprised when the Brazilian government announced that it's going to be extending the suspension of that tariff through the end of January 2023. So that gives us another month, gives us some breathing room to continue talking, and it it allows USDA and our friends at USTR to keep working with the Brazilian government to try and find a permanent resolution. Cooper says that could be helped by Brazil's new incoming Lula government, but Cooper says Brazil's years-old and inconsistent tariff has made a big dent in U.S. ethanol exports. I think it was 2018, we, we exported more than 500 million gallons of ethanol to Brazil. And I think this year we'll probably do something around 60 to 80 million gallons by the time this year is all said and done. RFA wrote to former U.S. Trade Ambassador Robert Lighthizer during the Trump years to urge retaliation against what it said then was Brazil's path to protectionism and obstruction. That while Brazil continues to enjoy duty-free access to the U.S. market. Now also, America's ethanol industry saw its production margins get weaker late in 2022. Market Watch says the ethanol industry outlook will depend on multiple factors. Margins have recently dropped below the same time last year. Iowa State University's Center for Agricultural and Rural Development says the average return over operating costs at a typical dry mill ethanol plant was 34.64 cents per gallon. That's over $1 lower than the same time last year when the center put the average margin at $1.38 per gallon. The university says the average ethanol price in Iowa was at $2.44 a gallon, 85 cents lower year to year, while the average price of corn was $6.80 to a bushel, about $1.10 higher than a year ago. Some of the key issues for the U.S. ethanol industry to watch include renewable volume obligations or RVOs, carbon capture projects, the future of small refinery exemptions, and fewer limits on E15 sales. Well, one of the top points of discussion at this year's American Bankers Association's Ag Bankers Conference was the 2023 Farm Bill. Ed Elfman, Senior Vice President for Ag and Rural Banking Policy at the ABA, says, despite what many think, a large portion of the banking industry is connected to rural America, and the Farm Bill has a direct impact on those local economies. There's 11 titles in the Farm Bill, and I think we care about 10 of them. Right? We care about rural development. We care about the conservation programs. We care about the credit. There's a credit title in the Farm Bill. A lot of people don't even realize that. 
care about the credit title. What happens there? When it comes to the production side of the farm bill, Elfman says there are several issues bankers are watching for next year. He notes while bankers don't necessarily advocate for direct payments or ARC or PLC, they look at how decisions made in the farm bill will impact lenders. I always jokingly say with my folks, we're like the third person to be, be hit by this thing. Because if you change a commodity program and it changes a customer's cash flow, then that affects us as bankers, right? So it's a weird spot to be for me because I'm not actually talking about one particular thing. I have to look at unintended and intended consequences. And one of the biggest things the banking industry will advocate for is crop insurance. He adds that they are also supporters of the dairy insurance programs. Then there's the credit title in the farm bill. That's where you see the FSA guaranteed loan programs. And a lot of our lenders participate in the guaranteed loan programs because it's a way to either get beginning farmers in and have them uh, be able to acquire some credit they might not otherwise be able to acquire. Or you might have somebody who has a dip in their operation and they need to use the programs. And it's a way to carry them through and make sure that they're still in a good place. Um, so we're big supporters of the guaranteed loan programs. We haven't picked a number yet, but we do believe the programs need to get bigger. The lending limit is about $1.88 million right in there. We'd like to see that get over the $2 million mark, partly because farms are getting bigger. And Elfman adds that rural bankers also use the rural development programs quite a bit for a variety of on-farm as well as off-farm efforts that better small-town communities. Well, the December World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report from USDA reveals a strong forecast for U.S. soybeans. Mac Marshall, United Soybean Board Vice President of Market Intelligence, explains. Now, it being December, it's not a month in which you typically see a lot of movement and noise. We know how big the crop is from the last couple reports in the U.S., so no changes really on the whole bean side of the balance sheet domestically. Market was expecting for maybe some slight uptick in that carryout number. That was maintained at 220 million bushels, obviously key metric to look at for this coming year as it's got uh, major implications for price. The South American forecast for soy production has maintained since the previous month, which will continue to be watched in the coming months ahead. Maintained production for both Brazil and Argentina. Argentina at 49.5 million metric tons expected, and Brazil maintained at what would be a record 152 million metric tons. Now, of course, it's still early in the season. We have seen some planting delays, suboptimal rainfall in Mato Grosso and major parts of the Brazil growing regions. So this will be something to watch in the coming months. And Marshall adds that despite a slight decline in soybean oil utilization in biofuels, the sector continues to see growth. So we did see a slight cut to that, but the numbers are still reflecting industry growth, which is consistent with what a lot of private sector players who are making waves of investment, both in the renewable diesel expansion in the West Coast and beyond, as well as companies investing uh, to expand crushing capabilities throughout the Midwest and Northern Plains. And you can keep up with the latest news from the United Soybean Board at unitedsoybean.org and Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on RFD TV. And finally, before we wrap up today's program, Iowa continues to have the largest pig inventory in the country. The USDA Quarterly Hogs and Pigs report shows Iowa has 23.6 million pigs. Minnesota comes in second with 8.6 million. Pigs currently outnumber Iowans with U.S. Census Bureau data showing an estimated 3.2 million people living in the state, about 20 million more pigs than people. Nationally, there are 73.1 million hogs and pigs in total. Well, that's going to do it for Market Talk here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Wishing you and yours a happy new year. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day.
When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com.